Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Tonight on The Readout. This is a governor who has done nothing but fan, fan these types of of happenings throughout our, our state. Look, at the at the end of the day, the governor has blood on his hands. Ron DeSantis booed by his constituents in Florida after Saturday's mass shooting in Jacksonville, committed by a self-avowed racist, a phrase DeSantis would never, ever say. State Representative Angie Nixon, who you just heard and who you see in this powerful photo, joins me tonight. Also, Vivek Ramaswamy, Republican's new favorite toy, calls Congresswoman Ayanna Presley and author Ibram X. Kendi modern grand wizards of the KKK. Both of those esteemed people maligned by the wannabe mini Trump. Join me tonight. But we begin tonight with the absurd and the ridiculous. The National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum is creating its own Donald Trump mugshot bobblehead. Yes, that is happening. One of these unsmiling, scowling collectibles memorializing Trump's history-making Georgia arrest can be yours for a mere $30 plus shipping starting in January. They even mentioned that they will be individually numbered. So if I were you, I would try to hold out for bobblehead number 011-35809. And that is just one of the countless pieces of mugshot merch available for sale. Trump himself is putting the mugshot on just about anything that he thinks his marks, sorry, I mean his supporters, will buy. From t-shirts to coffee mugs to beer cozies to bumper stickers. Better for Trump to try to cash in on it now because he'll need the money for what is shaping up to be an extremely packed and expensive 2024 calendar with a twice impeached, four times indicted former president having to execute dual arguments, one legal and the other political, starting early in the year. That is because the judge overseeing Trump's federal election interference case today scheduled the trial to begin on March 4th of next year, just one day before Super Tuesday. That means as Trump begins his defense to a jury of his peers to acquit him, he hopes, for trying to overturn the last election, he will simultaneously be making the argument to Republican voters that he should be their nominee for this next one. Trump and his legal team had requested that the trial not begin until April of 2026. That is more than two and a half years from now. That's how much time they claimed they needed to adequately prepare. That argument did not go far with Judge Tanya Chutkin, who made it abundantly clear that their proposed date was far beyond what is necessary. She even offered Trump's legal team a chance to offer an alternate start date, but they would not budge at all on the year 2026. The special counsel had requested that the trial begin next January, arguing that there was an incredibly strong public interest in starting the trial sooner rather than later. Quote, 
On a near daily basis, the defendant posts on social media about this case. He has publicly disparaged witnesses. He has attacked the integrity of the courts and of the citizens of the District of Columbia who make up our jury pool. And this potentially prejudices the jury pool. So under the Speedy Trial Act, Your Honor, we need to find a time for trial when, as soon as the defense can reasonably be necessary. Judge Chutkin also reiterated that she would not let Trump's personal or political schedules impact her decisions. Quote, Mr. Trump will be treated exactly with no more or less deference than any other defendant would be treated. Apparently, that was not good enough for Trump, who didn't waste much time proving the special counsel's argument, attacking both special counsel Jack Smith and Judge Chutkin online and claiming he would be appealing the trial date, something he cannot actually do. It is also worth noting that as this contentious hearing played out, sitting in the front row, taking notes throughout, was one Jack Smith. Join me now are two former federal prosecutors, Glenn Kirshner, host of the Justice Matters podcast, and Renato Mariotti, legal affairs columnist for Politico magazine. Thank you both for being here. We'll start with you, Glenn. Uh, just to reiterate the point, one cannot appeal the start date of the trial, right? I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but even I knew that. But please explain why. No, it's not a, a any kind of a final ruling, an appealable ruling. The judge has, I would say, um, complete discretion, not just broad discretion, but complete discretion in managing her calendar and setting reasonable trial dates, which is precisely what Judge Chutkin did today. And I'll tell you, Joy, I was in the courtroom. The defense counsel, John Loro, did not do himself any favors. He was a bomb thrower. It sounded like he was making arguments to Donald Trump's base, not to the judge when the judge implored him. Give me a reasonable alternative proposal. He said, and I think I can quote him because I was furiously taking notes. He said, we can't do it in anything less than the time we have proposed. And she had had about enough. And she said, well, then you just bought yourself a March 4, 2024 trial date. And just to stay with you just for a moment, because, you know, the judge goes on to say that, you know, number one, Trump likely knows most of the witnesses. A lot of them worked for him. The information has been out for two years. And she goes on to say the defense has not identified any case in the district where the defendant was given over two years between the indictment and trial in which there were no co-defendants and no ongoing pandemic. There is just one defendant, him. So you were in the you were in the court, as you said, Glenn. How what was uh, the defense's response to that? Yeah. And she actually called them out and said that the, the numbers that you gave, for example, a trial took uh, 29.4 months. She said, first of all, that was from the time of indictment until the time of sentencing. These are pandemic era cases when everything was backed up. And she said, your arguments are, quote, misleading. I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, People would agree with me that when a judge tells you that you've put something in a legal filing that is, quote, misleading, it's kind of like a dagger to the heart. We don't take it kindly, but that's what she uh, she told the defense counsel. And she was right. You know, she called this bluff at every turn and the prosecutors called uh, the defense counsel's bluff at every turn. My favorite moment was when John Loro was insisting that he hasn't done anything to prepare the case. He hasn't had time. He hasn't looked at the documents. And the prosecutor stood up and said, well, actually, he gave an interview to the media where he said he has read Mike Pence's book 
not once but twice and is already preparing cross-examination. So it sounds like the defense preparation is well underway. <laughs> it, it sounds like he's got more Rudy's. Uh, Renato, let's talk about this calendar. Glenn mentioned the calendar. I just want to put it up for everybody just so that you guys can sort of visualize in your mind uh, what this looks like. In January, on January 15th, the E. Jean Carroll civil defamation suit. Remember that? That's happening in January. Then at the end of January, you've got the federal class action suit. But sandwiched right in between there, right on that first date, is the Iowa caucuses. Then you've got February, where he gets a little time off being in court. Nevada, South Carolina, Michigan. Then March 5th is Super Tuesday, the day before that, the federal election interference trial. Eight days after that is the Georgia primary. And then a bunch of other primaries take place in March. Then April, more primaries. Then May, federal classified documents case. The hush money case is sandwiched in between there in March. You could just go on and on and on. you got more primaries in May. This is a mess, uh, Renato. I can't describe it as anything but that. Can Donald Trump make an argument that having to hop back and forward between these trials and cases in multiple cities and trying to also be at trial, can that be an argument he can use to delay any of this? Well, he can make the argument that he can only be in one courtroom at a time. I think Judge Chutkin dealt with that. She said that she's been in touch with the judge in Manhattan, and that judge has made it you know, clear that there can be an adjustment on the calendar. So I would actually expect that Judge Chutkin's case can go first, the D.C. case goes first, then the Manhattan case afterwards. But I will just say, Joy, you are right to describe this as a mess, and it's a mess of Donald Trump's creation. So I think... Uh, I think Judge Strutkin made that clear. And ultimately, she said he's going to be treated like anybody else in this situation. He's not the only person who's been charged in multiple districts. People like R. Kelly uh, have been charged in multiple districts. And ultimately, uh, he went to trial to trial in multiple districts. And that's the reality of the situation Donald Trump finds himself in. And, and by the way, you know, to Glenn's point earlier, and I'll give this to you, Renato, his lawyers aren't helping him. Because they keep going on TV and saying stupid stuff. Here's Alina Haba doing uh, so on Fox. If it was a normal person, honestly, Shannon, I could understand the concern. President Trump is not your average person. He's incredibly intelligent and he knows the ropes. He also knows the facts because he lived them. These are these are not complicated facts. Look at Fannie. It was a phone call, a phone call that's been around forever that he refers to as the perfect phone call. What is he going to have to be prepped for? The truth? You don't have to prep much when you've done nothing wrong. They're trying to turn him into a rap god, so to use the hip-hop language, they think he's just going Superman that hoe. He's a Superman. He's super smart. He's super intelligent. He's a genius. Nothing can stop him. So how does that help him if he's trying to say he needs two years to prepare to go to trial? Yeah, look, she did not get the memo. She's obviously <laughs> not in the rest of the, of the defense team. She's uh, she's almost sounds like she should be working for the special counsel's office. Look, I think it's, it's fair to say Elena Haba... You know, I'm shocked that she even has a law degree. She doesn't sound like she really knows what she's doing. She's sort of like a less drunk version of Rudy Giuliani, uh, just winging it uh, on the fly on television. Uh, look, she obviously uh, screwed up there. But I think the bigger problem, and Glenn you know, pointed this out a moment ago, is in court, really, you know, Trump's lawyer, I think, decided that Judge Shutkin was going, was not going to rule his, his way, was not going to give him his 2026 trial date. So he was basically playing for his client there. He was basically trying to win brownie points with Trump instead of advancing his legal arguments. So it's going to be a very, very long, you know, several months uh, for the Trump team in the judge judge in courtroom. 
And by the way, she was talking about the Georgia trial, but you, Renata, you're so funny. You know she would never get hired by the special counsel. They would look at her resume and be like, girl, please. Uh, let, let, let me go back to you just for a second, Clint, because you were in the courtroom. This had to have been maybe the most audacious, I'll use that term to be kind, attempt by um, the Trump team. They tried to equate him to the Scottsboro boys. Tutkin, Judge Tutkin, the defense argues that scheduling a two-speedy trial is not to proceed promptly in the calm spirit of regulated justice, but to go forward with the haste of the mob. The landmark decision in Powell, which is also known as the Scottsboro Boys case, the Supreme Court reversed the conditions of several young black men for allegedly raping two white women. The case, for any number of reasons, is profoundly different from Powell. Mr. Trump is represented by a team of zealous, experienced attorneys and has the resources necessary to efficiently review the discovery and investigate. And as the government points out, a great deal of discovery provided has already been available to the defense or is duplicative. I just want you to ruminate for a moment. The Scottsboro Boys case, I almost think they're trolling us at this point. This is the case that gave rise to the phrase stay woke. Lead Belly, who was a soul, a, a blues singer at the time, coined the term stay woke about the Scottsboro Boys. The fact that his a team is now trying to use the Scottsboro Boys case, in which they were the victims of a an, of an, an criminal injustice system for Trump, is so offensive. I don't even have words for it. So I'm hoping that you do, Glenn. Yeah, I've got a couple of words for it, Joy. I was so offended the minute I read page one of Trump's filing when they were asking for that absurd trial date of April 2026, because on page one, they cite Powell versus Alabama as some kind of a measuring stick against which to judge whether Donald Trump and his battalion of lawyers and his billions of dollars should be made to go to trial within about six or eight months. And as you say, the Powell case involved nine African-American teenagers, ages 12 to 19, who were accused of sexually assaulting a white woman. They were arrested, arraigned, and forced to go to trial in less than two weeks without qualified counsel in a death penalty case. That is the measuring stick against which we are to measure Donald Trump's burden of having a full battalion of lawyers, you know, preparing his case to go to trial six or eight months down the road. Offensive is the nicest word I can come up with. And I'll tell you, I got goosebumps when I heard Judge Chutkin, who I tried murder cases against back in the day when she was a public defender, go to Alabama versus Powell. And I said to myself, thank you, Judge, because that's exactly where you should call the Trump team out. It is. I mean, I think what y'all have to understand is the reason the right is stealing history and banning history or banning history so they can steal it. They are attempting to take what is critical race theory. The idea that the criminal justice system is racialized and weaponized against people of color. They're trying to flip that and say, yeah, it's weaponized, but against a so-called billionaire former president of the United States. So because he is a white conservative, he is the one who is the victim of a two-tier justice system. But when black people say that we're, well, you know, this is a two-tier justice system, they say that's offensive and actually illegal to state, that the real weaponization is against Trump. They are they are they're banning history because they want to steal it and reappropriate it and reappropriate victimhood for themselves. It's remarkable, but it's happening. Glenn Kirshner, Renato Mariotti. Thank you both. Up next on the readout. Remarkable times, y'all. Uh, today's other big court hearing. Mark Meadows unexpectedly takes the stand in a push to move his case to federal court. The readout continues after this. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. 
That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Today, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, one of the defendants charged with racketeering in the Georgia 2020 election probe, took the witness stand to bolster his bid to move the Fulton County case to federal court. Meadows testified that he believed that his actions detailed in the indictment fell within the scope of his duties as chief of staff. Apparently, for Meadows, those duties include keeping Donald Trump in power. The allegations against Meadows include participating in the so-called perfect phone call, where then-President Donald Trump pressured Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find the votes that would change the election results in his state. What I'm hopeful for is, is there some way that we can, we can find, uh, some kind of an agreement to, to, uh, to look at this a little bit more fully. Well, uh, I've listened to what, you know, the president has just said. President Trump, uh, we've had several lawsuits and we've had to respond in court to the lawsuits and the contentions. Uh, we don't agree that you have one. The second voice you heard there was Raffensperger, who was subpoenaed to testify today at today's hearing. U.S. District Judge Steve Jones concluded the hearing late today without a ruling, adding that he doesn't rule before September 6th, that he won't rule before September 6th. Meadows, if not, Meadows should proceed with arraignment. Joining me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst. So just to clarify that last thing, if he doesn't rule, then he should go for a speedy trial. Let's go through all of this. Um, uh, Paul, let's start with Meadows' chances of being able to move this to federal court. You just heard him on the call. He didn't sound like he was performing some sort of federal duty. He sounded like he was asking if there was a way to flip the election. Can that be ruled in any conception as doing his federal job? Nope. So, Joey, here's the law. If a federal official is charged with a crime in state court for conduct that the defendant says was part of their federal job responsibilities, then the case can be moved to federal court. And you remember Donald Trump tried the same move. He wanted to get the prosecution by the Manhattan district attorney moved to federal court. 
And the federal judge in New York denied that motion, telling Trump that paying hush money to porn stars wasn't part of Trump's official responsibilities as president. And I think that when the federal judge in Atlanta looks at what Mark Meadows actually did, he'll come to the same conclusion. Mark Meadows tried to get the Justice Department to sue six states to get their votes overturned, even when DOJ officials were telling him there was no fraud. Mark Meadows sent those YouTube videos and text messages that promoted the big lie. One of the really dumb things he was pushing was that there was this group in Atlanta, this in, in Italy, this shadowy organization that had changed the votes in the U.S. election. And of course, as you said, Mark Meadows was on that call with the Georgia Secretary of State when Trump begged and threatened for the votes he needed to overturn the election. So, Joy, I think it's going to be really difficult for Meadows to persuade the judge that trying to change the outcome of the election in Georgia was part of his official responsibilities as chief of staff. And and Raffensperger testified. And so he was the final witness today. And I just want to read a little bit of the notes here, the great notes that we got from court. He testified that the president of the United States has no role in election administration in Georgia. Accurate. He testified that he had resisted Meadows' attempts to contact him, saying, quote, I don't see what good could come of it. He testified that while it was not unheard of for campaigns to reach out to him, outreach to this extent was extraordinary. So he didn't help them out in his testimony today. Uh, Not at all. Again, Meadows kept saying he was trying to help Trump. But the president of the United States has no constitutional responsibility regarding federal elections. And remember, Meadows, he, he, he tried to fight cooperating with the House January 6th commission. Uh, then Jack Smith had to actually invoke a grand jury subpoena and the threat of federal prosecution just to get that interview with Meadows. So his testimony today was actually a little risky. And even though this was just a preliminary hearing, Prosecutors can use everything Meadows said against them at trial. And here's the thing, Joy, Meadows, he's not even a particularly good witness for himself. His testimony today was basically, yes, the president of the United States did ask me to set up a call trying to overturn the election in Georgia. But I don't remember a whole lot about the details. Uh, There was a lot of I don't know and I don't remember. So I'm not sure that if this case goes to trial, a jury is going to credit that testimony if Meadows takes the stand. Let's talk about the risks of a trial, because we, we, we it, now we know that per the calendar, we won't get a Trump trial before Super Tuesday. But we will likely, because the speedy trial rules, get a trial of some of these other people like Meadows. So Meadows has asked for a speedy trial. Jeffrey Clark, the former DOJ official, has as well. David Schaefer, uh, who is one of the, uh, I believe he's one of the fake electors, Sean Still, and Kathy Latham. Kathy Latham was the one who was Coffee County's uh, election chair who helped with uh, getting into those voting machines. Um, they've all asked for a speedy trial. So let's say those trials happen later on this year. If those people get convicted, any of them, How does that impact Trump's trial? He hasn't yet asked for a speedy trial. Maybe he probably won't. But how would a conviction of any of those people, especially like a Meadows uh, or any of those people, impact Donald Trump? Uh, It it would have a negative impact. The only advantage of them going first is that Trump would get to see uh, what the evidence is and be able to better prepare his defense. Uh, That's why prosecutors love to charge all 19 people in the same case, in the same trial. But other than that, uh, Trump is actually majorly 
disadvantaged uh, by these other cases going first. We we have some defendants here like Jeffrey Clark and Mark Meadows. They're trying to move the case to federal court. Others like Sidney Powell and Ken Chibrell, uh, they claim they want to go to trial right away. Prosecutors like RICO cases because they allow them to tell this complete story of how the crime went down and bring in all these co-conspirators. But this also makes them quite complicated. For example, all 19 defendants would be able to cross-examine every witness in the trial if they're all tried at the same time. So, Joy, this is why this trial is going to be long and complicated and why Fannie's prosecution will almost certainly happen after the election. But just to be clear on what I think Mark Meadows' real goal is here, he, he knows he's likely to lose. But what he's angling for is this jury pool. If the case actually is moved to federal court, the jury pool is much wider. It contains more white people and more people who live in the suburbs, which I think Meadows and some of his co-defendants view as a, as a friendlier jury than if it's tried in Fulton County. And the other big difference yeah. is if he's successful in this motion, which again, I don't think he will be, but if he wins, this trial isn't going to be on TV. Federal trials, federal criminal trials aren't televised. If the trial goes to, uh, if this case goes to trial in Fulton County, it's on TV yeah. every day. It's on TV. And if it's on TV, I think it's actually good for the country because it'll be like a mini version of what will happen with Donald Trump. We can see the evidence and people, you know, who may be skeptical will be able to see it. So I think a lot of people are rooting for it to be in Fulton County because we really want to see it. Uh, Paul Butler, thank you very much for all of that great clarity. And still ahead, a white gunman armed with an AR-15 type rifle kills three black people in a targeted racial attack in Florida. The state representative who called out Ron DeSantis joins me next. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On Saturday, a white supremacist walked into a Dollar General store in Jacksonville, Florida, and murdered three people. 52-year-old Angela Carr, an Uber driver who had just dropped off a customer at the store, 19-year-old A.J. Laguerre, a store employee, and 29-year-old Gerald Gallant, Gerald Gallion, a loving father, murdered as he walked into the store. The white supremacist gunman was armed with a Glock and an AR-style rifle emblazoned with swastikas, just to make it clear who he was. Earlier in the day, he was asked to leave Edward Waters University, Florida's oldest historically black university, because he refused to identify himself. The shooter was seen putting on a bullet-resistant vest and a mask before he left campus and headed to the Dollar General. His actions were an intentional public display of hatred in a state where the neo-Nazi movement is flourishing in recent years. 
plainly put, this shooting was racially motivated and he hated black people. He wanted to kill That's the one and only time I'll use that word. Jacksonville, Florida is home to nearly one million people, about one third of them black. The city is still coming to terms with its racist past. These murders took place just one day before the town was set to remember Axe Handle Saturday, a bloody day on August 27, 1960, when a white mob used baseball bats and axe handles to brutally club peaceful black demonstrators protesting segregation at a downtown lunch counter. Police initially stood by but joined the white mob when the black group began fighting back. Florida students will likely never learn about Axe Handle Saturday under Governor DeSantis and his education regime, whose premises are that white students cannot learn anything that might make them uncomfortable and that black students must learn that slavery had its benefits, even if that makes them uncomfortable and miseducated. That might explain why he got this reception at a memorial vigil for the Jacksonville shooting victims. Joining me now is Florida State Representative Angie Nixon and Bishop William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign and professor and founding director of the Center for Public Theology and Public Policy at Yale Divinity School. Uh, Thank you both for being here. Representative Nixon, I want to start with you. You said over the weekend that uh, Governor DeSantis has blood on his hands in regards to this shooting. Can you please explain why? Yeah, most definitely. Governor Ron DeSantis has blood on his hands because he is the one that lit the match. He fanned the flames. And now he, because his poll numbers are dropping, he's he's trying to extinguish it. At the end of the day, he has spread some hateful rhetoric. He has allowed many of my colleagues to continue to spread hateful rhetoric. He's passed anti-black, and I really mean anti-black, really targeting black people policies across the state of Florida. And, you know, the first bill that he pushed when I came into office in 2020 was HB1, Hate Bill 1, the quote-unquote anti-protest bill, which was in response to the majority peaceful protests of the brutal execution of George Floyd. He wanted to silence black people and to quiet us down in an effort to 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 keep us, you know, from saying anything to anyone and to to just I'm I'm sorry, there's a rally going on. I'm I'm frustrated with everything, but he wants us to feel like this is normal and it's not right. And we have to do more here in the state of Florida to stop this. And I, I recognize absolutely, uh, Representative Nixon, you have a right to be angry. You have a right to be uh, overwhelmed with this. And I know you're at an anti-racism rally, so I just appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with us. And Bishop Barber, let me bring you in here. You and I talked about this early this morning. I mean, there is a history uh, of governors, of Southern governors, stoking uh, racial hatred and animus specifically directed at black people. And then the results are reaped in black communities. Um, Axe Handle Saturday is one of those times. Uh, it seems to me that DeSantis has decided that being that kind of governor will make him president. Your thoughts? You're exactly right. And he's a failed governor in many ways. And this is more blood on his hand because he even passes policies that put that in, enable poverty, enable the lack of health care, which we know now produces policy, death, policy, violence. But words of hate, Joy, create um, an atmosphere of hate. It gives kind of a social license to it. And we cannot act like this is new or that DeSantis is first, you know, and nor can we act like it's just him. Because he has some black people down there that are participating in 
the, the writing up of the policies to try to stop black history from being taught. But he's trying to, I want, he's going, he's saying basically, I want to be like George Wallace, Southern governors and others who pushed hate. Uh, it was the playbook of the Southern strategy. Richard Nixon used it, Ronald Reagan, Bush, Trump to a greater degree. But whenever this kind of hate and divisive words are the standard, you know, the Bible says the, 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 the power of life and death is in the tongue. So you get the words and then you get the deeds. Think about it. The shooter first went to a historically black college university that represents the very thing DeSantis and others have been saying. We have to resist. That is dangerous to us. Then he went to a store that targets black communities, markets in black communities. We have to look at this and understand that the same thing, in a sense, was happening in 63. It, uh, the March on Washington was bookend by violence against children in Birmingham and then violence against children and killing of children after uh, the March on Washington. The sheriff, though, Jordan, I want to say this, is right to say he hated black people. This man was not uh, an anomaly. He's not crazy. He was lucid. And that's why this morning and yesterday talking Bishop Frank Reed and others, clergy are planning to announce on Wednesday or Thursday a call to repentance and, and, a, and a ceasing and desist of Jess Anderson, others of these acts. The only reason he should have went that rally the other day was to get on his knees and, and repent. Mm. We're going to have a mass rally on the anniversary of the killing of four girls in Birmingham, 17 days after March. This is going to be September 16th. We're going to have a, a whole week of clergy led by flaw, not by me and outside people, but by Floridians who are going to say that this is a time of repentance and, 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 and stopping. And lastly, it's going to, we're going to deliver students, diverse students, cease and desist to say either cease and desist and stop this and resign. Or we must mobilize to send you home because we cannot continue to give the haters the mic and the positions of power that enables them to foster their opinions that end up producing more acts of, of hatred and deed and murder and killing. We just cannot. And Representative Nixon, amen. Representative Nixon, the, so the picture of you has become iconic, of you standing not far from the governor. Uh, and I don't know if we have that picture and can put it up, that people, and that there it is, there you are. And I think you are everybody. Uh, you are all of us in that photo. Uh, I want to ask you just what you were thinking. I mean, this is your community. You represent this area. These people are, you know, were, uh, you know, f your fellow Floridians. And I just want to ask you what you were thinking in that moment as you stood there with the governor as he did his campaign photo op uh, with the victims and the, the community that was suffering. Joy, I can't, I don't think I can let you know what I was thinking because if I did, I probably would not uh, be reelected. <laughs> um, just the anger and frustration that I was feeling though. And just, I, I just felt like he had a lot of audacity to come there. And after he lit the match and fanned the flames and emboldened what happened, the, the individual to, to Look, at the end of the day, the governor does not care about black people. He removed, he wiped out several minority access districts, black access districts, congressional access districts in the state of Florida. Me and Representative McCarty led a peaceful sit-in on the House floor to push back against him doing that unconstitutionally. I was banished to the basement for a while in the basement for rat with rats because they we have a vindictive governor he punishes people and that's what folks seem to know that he is hurting floridians and, and he cares more about becoming president so can you imagine all the things that he's doing in the state of florida what he would do if he had the power of, of, of the president 
Like, that's absolutely absurd. And it's important for us to go ahead and stop him in his tracks and really highlight the fact that folks are hurting. We have an over 9,000 educator shortage here in the state of Florida. We have the highest, the highest uh, rental rates here. Not only that, but property insurance is going off the roof. And, and, and we are facing a hurricane this week. And there are people who are uninsured because they couldn't afford it. Because instead of actually helping Floridians, they decided to give a $3 billion bailout to insurance companies. That is who he is. He is bought and paid for. He was not passing bills and appropriations until lobbyists gave him money for his president's election, for his election. Like, that is what we're dealing with. He does not care about Floridians. And then to just offer up $1.1 million to an HBCU that has requested even more than that, you want to give us money after you have blood on your hands? I have a problem with that. We have been requesting money for so long, for so long. But now because your poll numbers are dropping, you want to you wanna dish out funds? No, you should Enjoy. have been working to uh, lower lower the the crime rates by ensuring you're addressing this this violence and and white supremacy I think Enjoy. you're getting very quickly, very quickly. Just, just, just take 15 seconds. What she just did connecting the dots is what we must do. And it must be foreigners of conscious black and white and red and yellow and everybody. And we must show how this this hatred toward all people, it spews violence and it spills over into public policy violence. And we yeah. must say we're going to not have the time of death or the time of life. That sister right there just did what showed that he's a failed yes, governor. Did. And if he's going to come anywhere, he needs to come and repent or he needs to resign. And if he can't resign, we need to send him home. Amen. Amen. She did do that. Amen. Florida State Representative Angie Nixon, thank you for your passion in representing uh, the people of Florida. Bishop William Barber, thank you always, my friend. Uh, and coming up, Vivek Ramaswamy accuses, okay, now, now wait, wait for this now. Brace yourself. <laughs> accuses Congresswoman Ayanna Presley and Professor Ibram Kendi of promoting racism as part of what he calls the modern KKK. Seriously. We're going to get their response when the Congresswoman and the best-selling anti-racism author join me next. The Republican Party is in a bad place with their top candidate indicted four times in their debate standout, Vivek Ramaswamy, blaming anti-racists for racism. Ayanna Presley, she's in the Congress today. She's a member of the squad. Her words, not mine. We don't want any more black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. Literally, word for word, I'm not putting any words in anybody's mouth. Ibram Kendi wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. The remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So the other side will gaslight you when you say this stuff. It's like, oh, you're just making that critical race theory stuff up. No, no, no. I'm, these aren't my words. These are the words of the modern grand wizards of the modern KKK. Really? Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. Two black Americans fighting racism are the grand wizards of the modern day KKK. Oh, and Ramaswamy doubled down on those comments. He also denied the existence of white supremacy in America one day before white supremacists went on a shooting spree targeting black shoppers in Florida. 
Join me now are the two people Ramaswamy dubbed the modern Grand Wizards of the KKK, Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts and Ibram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist and director and founder of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. Congresswoman, I'm going to let you respond to uh, Vivek Ramaswamy first. Joy, um, this is another reminder that the extremist GOP and their presidential candidates are a clear and present danger. Uh, Once again, they seek to rewrite history. The Ku Klux Klan is responsible for the Tulsa massacre, for the 16th Street Church bombing and the murder of four little girls. And on this day in 1955, the lynching and the mutilation of 14-year-old Emmett Till. My ancestors and I have living family members uh, who were terrorized by the Ku Klux Klan. So this is shameful. Uh, It is deeply offensive and it is dangerous. And, you know, it is just a a sobering reminder of why we have to be vigilant uh, in the work of confronting and rooting out anti-Black rhetoric and policies. It is quite literally on the heels of what happened in Jacksonville, a matter of life and death. Joy, I served on the uh, House Oversight Committee for two terms. Uh, I'm very clear. Uh, on uh, the threat of organized white supremacy that has been emboldened uh, in recent years and what it looks like. I survived an insurrection uh, when a white supremacist mob seized the Capitol seeking to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power, brandishing Confederate flags and erecting nooses on the West Lawn of the Capitol. So this is another reminder that uh, the extremist GOP and their presidential candidates are a clear and present danger uh, and their verbal assault on myself and Dr. Kendi will in no way deter or dissuade our efforts. It is simply meant to distract from um, their hate that they traffic in and their policy violence and um, and their dangerous rhetoric. And Dr. Kenny, let me go to you because he went further continuing to talk about you um, on Meet the Press um, and essentially blamed. Um, he said exactly. He says this. He says he thinks that creating race based quota systems, which uh, I think he thinks affirmative action is, which it isn't, that deny people access to goods or services based on the color of their skin. That's not the right answer to stop discrimination on the basis of race, as John Roberts said, is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. And then he says that we're, I'm genuinely worried that we're seeing a new wave of anti black and anti Hispanic racism as a consequence of these so called anti racist movements. He's basically saying anti racism is the reason for racist incidents. And he named you. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, it, it's a it's a very old white supremacist talking point. Uh, white supremacists have been saying for decades that uh, anti-racist is 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 code for anti-white. And and what's also ironic is the only reason why we're even talking about him, the the only reason why he even has political standing, is because he has a brown skin and he's attacking black people. And and that's really his job. Uh, it's it's the job of Republican candidates of color to go out to white Republicans and say they are not racist, and the real racists are uh, the people who are challenging them. Uh, and so he's doing his job. He's he's feeding their denial, you know, like a servant. 
And, you know, Congresswoman, that is literally what you were saying. I mean, we have watched Clarence Thomas um, behave. I mean, he said the Freedmen's Bureau was not just for black people. It's literally what it was. And he serves a very similar purpose. When I heard your quote, that is what you were talking about. You have people, as Dr. Kendi has said, who are, they serve a purpose in which they themselves are people of color, but they speak only to white audiences. Vivek Ramaswamy's not talking to black people. He lectured Don Lemon for the benefit of white voters in the Republican Party. That is who he is attempting to entertain. I don't want to say that that's what you were saying. I don't want to misquote you, but do, is that where you were coming from? Again, it's a consistent uh, play from their uh, tired uh, playbook um, to uh, weaponize uh, words. Uh, I was speaking about the power and the importance of representation. Um, but the real weapons here um, are their harmful policies, rhetoric, and the corrupt Supreme Court that they have enlisted as co-conspirators in their extremist agenda. Uh, so uh, I'm going to remain woke uh, vigilant and undeterred in the way in the work of undoing uh, the centuries of precise harm uh, that has been done to black America and charting a, a more equitable and just path forward, one of restorative justice and one that holds all those accountable um, from government uh, to industry uh, to our financial services um, for um uh, the promises that were made at the height of this so-called racial reckoning. Uh, so uh, again, I think a uh, recent tragic events and my condolences go out to the entire Jacksonville uh, community and, and all families that were robbed of their loved ones. Uh, hateful rhetoric leads to hateful acts. Uh, this is a matter of life and death. And again, a sobering reminder of the clear and present, a threat and danger that this extremist GOP is and their presidential candidates. Uh, indeed. Uh, Congressman Ayanna Presley and Ibram X. Kendi, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, thank you both very much. We'll be right back. Before we go, be sure to check out the readout blog. Jahan Jones shares his thoughts on the righteous rage toward Ron DeSantis and speaks with a lawyer fighting back against efforts to remove Fonnie Willis from office. And that is the readout tonight. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.